Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Mark. I'm Matt Henry. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Lena. Congratulations. <laughs> this, is really like our, this. this is like our seventh <laughs> take of this. And now we don't know who's going to talk. I don't even so. know what I'm talking about anymore. What are we, we saying? We just want to say thank you. Or no, congratulations to Drew Moore for winning our giveaway. Yep. And... I yeah. really felt inadequate during that whole entire time. Yeah. No, that was pretty cool, though. And we also wanted to thank Hugh, who gave us a podcast idea. I and apparently it name. was being well-received on not being capital R reformed. Yeah. yeah. So, Very popular episode. Yeah. I actually enjoyed doing that. Po- that Do you know what our most podcast? popular episode is? Uh, One to leave a church. Yeah. yeah. Are you serious? That's sad. Yeah. That's kind of It's sad. telling. It's telling. Uh, well. But necessary. Well, it's yeah. a very, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's. I think it's going to hit a lot of people. We deal with that. Uh-huh. For sure. Our address of our sure. church, if you wish to leave yours, <laughs> is in Kenosha, Wisconsin. You know, it's our least Actually, traditional. Three. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, they're like, we're done. <laughs> what, what, what more do I have to hear about this? Well, they don't. But the people song. who are involved in the SBC need do yeah. need to hear it, and that's just the way it is. So I'll just say this: if you like any of this stuff, though, you should share it. And review it. Review it. And, and like it. And like it. Yeah, we've had people, I've had a person message me, and they really liked it. They gave a wonderful comment, and I was like, okay, go write that on iTunes. <laughs> really? Just do that first. Don't, yeah. uh, don't say it on Facebook or whatever. Just do it on iTunes. Just copy and paste it. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> All right, so we are apologizing. Oh, yeah. We haven't we. released an episode on the Trinity in the last two Fridays. Because I deleted it. Accidentally. Yeah. So. But I'm ashamed. Well, you don't need to be ashamed. That we're going to be doing many apologies, I suspect. Or we're in guilt-innocent culture. Yeah. You're guilty. Yeah, you're guilty. Oh. Yeah, not ashamed. Okay. I'm guilty. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, so we're going to do the deity of the Holy Spirit, the final part of the ontological side of the Trinity. Yes. All right. Right. And who's doing the intro? I will, I will do it. All right. So we it. come to the final. No, okay. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, we are going to talk about the Holy Spirit now. Um, and what we have been basically saying up to this point is that we can't fully explain the Trinity. Because if we could, that would mean that we were in some way able to explain the essence of God in its fullness. Um, and so the point is that when we think of, of the oneness of God, we should also think of the threeness of God. And when we think of the threeness of God, we should think of the oneness of God. And that's the point that we've been trying to make in these. And so we would say, give that a try this week or going forward in your Bible reading, when you're thinking about the person of God, always consider how the Trinity is at work. You know, don't just focus on the spirit. Don't just focus on Jesus. Don't just focus on on the father. But especially as you come to various passages and in your Bible reading or whatever it might be, ask yourself, how is the Trinity at work in this? And how are you, how are you seeing the, full, the fullness of the Godhead? Yeah, I've actually done that. And it brought about a lot of um, 
depth to my understanding of exactly how God is working um, as a triune God. And, um, and so we can give you an example of this in Jesus Christ. You have to understand him through the presence and the work of the Spirit. Uh, he does not act alone. Uh, rather, in his earthly ministry, he's going to always be working through the Spirit. And Matt Miller actually brought this out in a recent sermon that he's mm-hmm. preaching on because he's going through the book of Luke. And in Luke 3, there's a baptism of Jesus. And what we saw was that all of it was according to the plan of God the Father. In other words, when we watch Jesus act or speak or die or rise again, what we're actually watching is the Trinity at work. Uh, that is a Christian view of Jesus' life and work. It was not an individual work. It's not just yeah. Jesus doing it. Right. Um, it. It is a Trinitarian work of God. And and it, we see the Father at work. We see His Spirit at work. So every time you see Jesus functioning in whatever he does in the gospels it's always the will of the father that mm-hmm. he is doing mm-hmm. and it's in the power of the spirit would you agree absolutely right so and that if people can get that it will help them uh, begin to worship god properly rather than merely worship christ right yeah I th- I, jesus i mean he is the model for that because we see um when he's at his baptism he receives that spirit as the anointing for his ministry. But then in, in chapter four of Luke, which is the very beginning yeah. of his ministry, um, the spirit impels him into the yeah. wilderness, right? And so so all he's doing now is by the presence of the spirit, but it's always in accord to his father's will. It's never his will. So it's the fullness of the Godhead there. By the way, I want us to do another podcast just on on what you preached on recently in Luke four about the subtlety of... Uh, Satan and his work, yeah. and yeah. Uh, I thought I thought you made some incredibly good points. Yeah. And what I, I was little, I mean, I, I don't want to, I I don't know this for a fact, but I was wondering how many people, as they were hearing you preach, were really grasping how important what it was that you were saying, with regard to the fact that whatever we think Satan's doing, we're probably wrong. Yeah. He's far more subtle and far more dangerous Cunning. than we. Yeah. Yeah, um, grass. Well, I made a just off the cuff comment, but one of that I think would be worth exploring it too is how some of the most dangerous false teachers um, are those who are closest to getting the gospel yeah. right. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and, and and very close to truth. Yeah, yeah. right. And, I mean, the best lie you said is always going to have an element of truth within it. Yeah, and uh, and so. All of that to bring us back to then the spirit, because it was a spirit, though, that literally put him into the wilderness. And as he was in that time, the whole time he's being subjected to this onslaught. And it was the will of the spirit and the work of the spirit uh, to to show the perfections of of our Lord. So going back then, when we're talking about the spirit, um, when we think about the spirit theologically, we see him as the agent in which Jesus is begat in the womb. We see him as the agent to bring communication from divine to human. Um, he's the agent to strengthen Jesus, to do his works, especially that of being our p- perfect sin bearer. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the agent that brings God's grace upon a person through the transforming of the mind and intellect, uh, what the Bible would call a new heart. 
And again, all of this is very Trinitarian. It's the Spirit who gives us life or regeneration, as well as faith to trust in Jesus' work on his behalf. And therefore, unites us to Jesus so that we now can then relate for the very first time to the Father as our Father. So, he doesn't just give us a new life or a new heart, and that's it. Rather, it's the work of the Spirit in uniting us to Jesus. It so radically affects us in one way that so many Christians struggle over prayer. Um, Because we're united to Christ, all of our prayers are channeled through Jesus to the Father. And if you think about it, it will begin to make more sense. Your your prayers never just stand on their own, in other words, um, because you said so, or you asked, or you asked just the right way. But it's the your your prayers are standing in a sense because they're the prayers of Jesus. And so the Father is hearing them because Christ is bringing them to him. And what we do is we end up wrongly thinking that we need that hour of prayer every day or to really get the Father's attention, and we beat ourselves up in ways that we ought not. And then this moves us into this unfounded guilt because you don't find yourself praying maybe like that. And and I would never tell a person not to devote an hour of prayer. Uh, that would be good. But just think about two observations in relationship to the Trinity. First of all, your prayers are never heard by the Father because of your time spent praying them. Never. He's never going to say, okay, I'll listen to you because you, you spent that hour. They're going to always be received because Jesus brings them to the Father. And what makes you able to pray is a new life you have in the Spirit. And then second, don't perceive your, of yourself as being more spiritual because you pray that extra amount. Yeah, again, if you pray for an hour or two or whatever it might be, let it be because you're filled with the confidence that the Father is receiving the prayers because they come through the Son and the power of the Spirit. And once that clicks, you'll find your prayers will be much more natural and much more frequent simply because you have a, a, a newfound confidence that the Father truly is receiving you into his presence. And he wants to hear you because you are in Christ. And all of this is as a result of the Spirit. Um. Yeah, so that's that's one example. Uh, just a final point before um, we get into the spirit deity, um, his deity, is that he's also the agent of sanctification. Um, that is, he is the one who makes you holy. Um, in fact, John Owen argued that only the Christian is truly tempted. Um, and why? Well, because only the believer has the spirit within them resisting that sin that's in us. And so only a Christian has true life within himself. That, that, that's such a good statement. Um, that's worth repeating. Say it one more time. Yeah, uh, he said that only a Christian is truly tempted. Um, and the reason for that is because only the believer has the spirit of God within them that's resisting that sin that dwells within each of us. And so you have this battle yeah. kind of waging war inside you between the sin and the spirit. So an unbeliever, there is no war. There's no. They're just living life and it's a life of sin. They know nothing else. There's no internal struggle. But now when you possess the spirit of God, who's making you holy, it's coming up against that, that flesh and that sin. And so now this true struggle happens, but it's a good struggle and a worthy struggle. Don't we even have a podcast that we want to do in the future about the nature of temptation? I think uh, you and I were talking about that. Well, you, I think you sent me a text on that or something. Yeah. That you wanted to do one. I, I think it'd just be helpful for people to understand the nature of temptation and 
I, th I think the question I asked you, yeah, it was a question I asked you of, you know, the fact that you're being tempted is that sin itself, mm. and um, and how people. Oh, because the Luke 4 passage. Right, yeah. right. So look forward to that one. Uh, that will be coming whenever we get around to writing it. So <laughs> yeah. anyhow, so with that, let's just jump into the deity of the Spirit. Um, what's, what's interesting is since the fourth century, there's never really even been any debate whether the Spirit is God. So right. that this is not a difficult subject for us to talk about. The only time it's debated is when there's a question as to whether he's a person or just a force, like yeah. the King, uh, not the King James. <laughs> um, who are they? The Star Jehovah's. Wars. No, Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, okay. Jedi Knights. <laughs> right. Yeah, never mind. Yeah. But it's, it's yeah, but it, what's important to understand is that the spirit is, I don't even like to use the term, but he's far more than just a force or an energy. Um, rather, he he is presented in the scriptures as God Himself, yeah. and that's the point to understand. He possesses full deity, um, and so first we need to see that He's a person, and that personality is actually attributed to Him. And so we're just going to walk through. Yeah, this is going to be quick and dirty. Yeah, just a bunch of text here. So so Mark three twenty two through thirty um, states that the Spirit can be blasphemed. Um, so how do you blaspheme a force? You can't. Right. So the point is, is there's personhood there. Right. Because um, the only one that you can blaspheme is God. God. Right. Therefore, also showing that he's God. Right. So he's, there's personhood and he's God. Right. Uh, or John 14, 16, it says, I, this is Jesus talking, and it's Trinitarian. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that's the Spirit, so that he may be with you forever. That is Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him, or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. In other words, he says, we're able to know the spirit. That's a relational personality kind of idea. Right. And we are helped by him and we are comforted by him. And then finally, he says that he will live with and in us. Yeah. So all of those are speaking of that person. And I think um, you had pointed this out last time we were in John 14, 16, is that it's also very Trinitarian because he says, I'll ask the Father, right. and he'll give you helper, but then he's qualified here, and he says that that helper is a spirit, but then he qualifies his spirit here as the spirit of truth, right? Um, where, where Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, um, again, it's just very Trinitarian. The more, the more pe what I'm hoping people get out of this whole series is that as they're reading the Bible, they're going to see the Trinity all over the place. Um, people are trying to look for that nice, clean verse that says, and God is triune right you know and it's but but once you understand it didn't come up out of nowhere it's everywhere it throughout the bible from beginning to end it's just there but our eyes oftentimes are not looking at it right it's like when someone first comes to understanding god's sovereignty yeah and all of a sudden there's just brand new lenses put on their eyes as they're reading through the scriptures uh, well, in a very similar way, once you start thinking actively Trinitarian, you start seeing a pop-up everywhere. Which is why we gave them the assignment. Try to think yes. over this next week after you've listened to this podcast. Just try to think. Every time you think about God or a person of the Trinity, in, try to include the other two and figure out how are they functioning in this act. Because no part of the Trinity acts all by himself, ever. So every time you see God at work, 
the Trinity is at work. Yes. And so it's, it, it becomes a fun exercise. But go ahead and uh, some other so, aspects. Yeah, so John fifteen twenty six. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, this is Jesus speaking, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness of me. So, again, showing personality here, the Spirit bears witness of Christ. Right. And then a couple out of John 16, um, in verse 8, he's going to be the one who will convict the world. Um, and in John 16, 13 through 14, he's the one who brings guidance and revelation. So again, these are works of a person, uh, not just an energy. Right. In Acts eight twenty nine, um, it says, And the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So here the Spirit is speaking, again, showing personhood. Not just speaking, he's actually... Commanding, commanding yeah. as God. Yeah. Right, right. Um, and then in Acts 13, 2, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, so again, we have him speaking, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, he, he's speaking to the church there, but notice that it also says set apart not for God, but for me. And this is, again, the idea of him as not just person, but deity, he's God. He's not saying, again, set apart for God, but for me. And that, that, that's something only God calls right. his people to do. Acts 16.6 uh, says, And they passed through uh, the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And so here, obviously, the Spirit is forbidding or preventing certain actions. And specifically with reference to the gospel, that one just kind of jacks with you a little bit. Because um, the Spirit has a plan where He wants the gospel right now to go. And so, of course, He goes uh, west. Now, and, and for people who are always resisting some aspect of the sovereign aspect of God and salvation, this is one that smacks you right in the face yeah. because He literally is saying... Don't bring the gospel into that region yet. Yeah. Right. And, and until the gospel got there, think of the number of people who perished right. mm -hmm. without ever even having a chance to hear the gospel. It's a very, well, as you said, it jacks with you. <laughs> yeah. um, and then Romans 8, 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So here, it's obvious that he is leading uh, believers. Yeah. Uh, in Romans eight twenty six. Uh, Paul writes, and in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses or our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And so, obviously, the Spirit here is interceding on behalf of the saints. He prays on our behalf and is in that way helping us. Right, right. Okay, then in 1 Corinthians 2 and also in 12, we'll, I'll give a couple of them. In 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 13, it, it speaks of him teaching. Um, they can look up that passage himself. Uh, then in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, he is the one who dispenses gifts, showing that he has a will because he dispenses however he wishes. Right. Uh, so again, personality. Yeah. Um, in Ephesians 4, 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So in some way, it's possible to grieve the Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, again, showing this the spirit has to, in that sense, then be more than just some kind of force. Right. Um, there's emotion, there's affection, or something yeah. happening there. Yeah. Uh, Hebrews ten twenty nine is another one. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve, who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has insulted 
the spirit of grace. So similar to the one you just read, here we can actually insult. Uh, and, and the idea of insulting is very similar to blaspheming the spirit. Um, so Jesus is being treated in the same way here as the spirit is. And without a doubt, Jesus was a person. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, so yeah. is the spirit. So, so he possesses personhood, there's deity. There. Right, right. In other words, he's not an energy to catch or to be unleashed or to funnel the power through, kind of like you see with these New Age televangelist people who oh, are healing same, and same thing. Yeah, knocking people over or whatever. Uh, he's a person, there's deity. Um, but second, he possesses, therefore, divine attributes. And so you want to yeah. get the first one here? Uh, he, he shows omniscience in 1 Corinthians 2.10. For to us, God has revealed them through the Spirit. Why? For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Now, there's only one person yeah. that can search the depths of God, right. and that is God, God. God himself. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then he, he also has om, omnipresence, Psalm 139 in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? So there's nowhere that the spirit of God is not, therefore showing he's on my presence. Right. An attribute of God. Or truth. He is uh, in First John 5, 7. And it is the spirit who bears witness because the spirit is the truth, which that's, again, another powerful one because Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and yeah. the life. And here... That same statement, which is such an absolute statement, he's not the purveyor of truth or the giver of truth. He is, in fact, the truth itself. Yeah. And then just a bunch of qualifications for how the spirit is is um, identified. He is the spirit of life in Romans eight and verse two. Uh, the spirit of love in Second Timothy one seven. He is the eternal spirit in Hebrews nine fourteen. And the spirit of glory in First Peter four fourteen. Yep. And then in all over the Bible, he's regarded as the Holy Spirit. Uh, that one I always laugh at because people kind of blink when you say that, and they're yeah. like, "Oh yeah, and it's like it's, it's not his not first his name." name yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a, a statement <laughs> of his essence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he is the Spirit of many things in Isaiah eleven too. Just hear what what's listed here, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. This is Trinitarian again. Yeah. Um, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So just a list of things that the spirit is. Yeah. Uh, Hebrews ten twenty nine. he's the spirit of grace as well. Um, and so there, there's many attributes, but they're attributes that, again, can't be attributed to a mere force. Um, they're, they're attributes that are connected to the idea of personhood and that and, and something which possesses personhood. But but along with all that, there are just overt passages that say he's God. So, Lena, you want to read uh, Acts 5, 3 through 4? But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So here he is called God. You have not lied to men, but God. Uh, that's being connected back to lying to the spirit. And we didn't list that as a point of personality. Yeah. I mean, you can't could, lie to a force. Right. Yeah, you could be lied um, to. Right. Uh, but he's able to be put to the test in verse 9. If you were to read further down in the passage, you find out that they were actually putting to test 
the, the yeah. spirit. And again, this is something only God, uh, you can do to God and, and be condemned for. Um, and then in 1 Corinthians 12, 11 through 18, we won't read it because it's longer. Um, but in that passage, you have both God and the spirit, as is ex- explicitly stated, but both God and the spirit are placing believers into the body of Christ, um, which is the church. So again, very Trinitarian. Um, but throughout the passage, what's important to notice is, is how casually then it goes back and forth between the spirit and God in, in the working and dispensing of these spiritual gifts, um, which of course is what the passage is about. They're, 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 they're one and the same and yet distinct, that is God and, and the spirit. Right. And so there's just this ease of, of back and forthness. And I think we've made that clear so far, but if we haven't, let me say it again. Um, what stands out in the Bible is how casual the Bible writers are as they, they go between the person of Christ or the Son and the Father and the Spirit. And they're just, they don't feel like they have to com, uh, explain it or anything else. It's just, this is, this is the revelation and this is how it is. And it's a very casual uh, yet very powerful reality. So yeah. another one would be in Acts 28, 25. Uh, along with Isaiah 6, 1 through 13. Again, they'll have to look up the act, at least Isaiah 6, 1 through 13. Uh, but in Isaiah, it's Yahweh who is speaking. Um, it's clear. It's, it's overtly stated. But then in Acts 28, 25, you want to read that, Lena? And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah, the prophet, to your fathers. And, and what he's making reference to is that passage in Isaiah 6. But again, as I said, it's Yahweh who is doing the talking in, in Isaiah. But mm-hmm. here, it's the Spirit is yeah. the one who's speaking. So, we actually have uh, it being inter- interpreted for us and telling us that we're seeing, again, not just the Father or the Son, but we're seeing the triune God at work. Yeah. Uh, it, in a in a specific moment in time, so what's interesting is this is also the same passage Jesus uh, elsewhere uses to point as to referring to himself. Where's yeah. that? John, uh, John twelve. Yeah, you, yeah. I, I always want to say Luke twelve, and I always know I'm wrong. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, um, and then in First uh, Corinthians three sixteen, um, paired with First Corinthians six nineteen, in chapter three. Uh, Paul's writing, he says that we are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in us, talking about the church. And then in chapter six, it says that we are the temple of the spirit and that he is from God. Um, And so Paul here is able to refer to it as the temple of God in one place, namely chapter three, um, but then in another place referred to it as uh, a temple of the spirit. Right. In other words, he understands, and Paul understands in his mind that the spirit is God. And and in both those passages, he's not talking about the individual Christian. He's describing the church. The church, right. Right. And, and then finally in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, Lena, if you can do that one. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built up having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Holy Spirit. So here we have, again, the statement uh, that we are a holy temple in the Lord and then a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And so, again, this uh, connection between 
the spirit being God. But also, this is an overtly Trinitarian passage as well. It, it references Christ, the Father, and the Spirit. So, it's all over the place. So, I don't know what episode number this is on the Trinity, but we've done quite a few. But the point is, is hopefully you see that the Trinity is revealed in the Bible. Right. Um, and so, it's, it's not a negotiable issue um, for the church and certainly for Christians. And it's something that does, in our view, need to be taught again in the churches. Um, there, there's not a, a rich, grounded, typically, I mean, with the average person I'm talking with, understanding of, of the nature of God as Trinity. Um, you know, and, and that's just due to not a lot of sound theology being taught in churches and uh, that kind of thing. But, but people, I, we think, need to uh, require this from their pastors. Um, especially as they're preaching, hopefully through the scriptures. It's not something that you should just be silent about. Uh, it's easy to just talk about Jesus now. That's the cool thing. Or if you're in a charismatic, more Pentecostal tradition, obviously the spirit uh, is the focus. Maybe in some Bible churches, it's just God. Yeah. Um, but an overt teaching on the Trinity is, I think, desperately needed because yeah. it's the identity of God himself. Yeah, we're not trying to create problems, uh, but we are telling you that if you've been sitting in a church for more than a year or two, and you have not heard overt statements pointing them to the fact that they are worshiping a triune God in some way or another, or helping learn that doctrine, then they should ask their pastor, would you, would you please, would you help us to hear that and preach, uh, would you preach on it? Because a lot of pastors are afraid they think it's going to be too deep or it's mm. going to bore people, but truly regenerate individuals will delight in it. And yeah. the unbeliever needs to as well, so that they understand that this is the God who has created them, that he's a triune God and he expects to be seen as triune. And we actually had that issue come up uh, uh, with a couple in our church a few years ago who thought that it was okay to have a, a modalistic view of God. And again, that was talked about in one of our first tr Trinity uh, podcasts. And they thought, look, it's not a big deal. It's sufficient. But what it ended up doing is creating a lot of questions among many of the other members because they were confused and, mm -hmm. and they were becoming confused. And so the end result was, I think it was a 12 or 13 part sermon series on the Trinity to simply say, first of all, no, this is not a point of option that you can choose to believe or not. Right. And two, I wanted the people of Missio Dei to understand this is biblical truth and this is foundational biblical truth. Everything else is built off yeah. of it. So here it is and we went in depth into it. So it, it really is worth fighting for. And I, 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 I get frustrated because too many churches are not willing to fight over critical points of theology. I would even say it's willing, it's something that's worth dividing over. Um, because at the core, it is the gospel in the fullest sense of the word. Mm -hmm.